Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, an audio podcast distributed via the internet that discusses three feature-length motion picture entertainments that share an unlikely connection. My name's Doug, and my favorite non-canonical vampire film is Guy Madden's Dracula, Pages from a Virgin's Diary. My name is Darren, and my favorite non-canonical, that is just hard to say, (laughs) vampire movie is Return of Dracula. I believe it's about 1958, 1959. And who directed, who stars? People. Oh, right. People and stuff. I'll get back to you on that one. And I'm Steve, (laughs) and my favourite (laughs) non-criminal vampire movie is Life Force by Toby Hooper, also known as Space Vampires when it was released in Italy. So I get in on a technicality. Oh, if I had only gone with Planet of the Vampires by Mario Bava. You got the double ooh. Life Force definitely. I mean, it's technically a vampire movie. The kind of... I think space vampires totally yeah. count. Um, energy vampires could count as oh, well. Oh, um, uh, yeah, Oh, yeah. Mat- Matilda May. Matilda May. Not that, I, not that that name is seared into my consciousness mm. from when I was 16, but um, <laughs> yes, it is. We've just gone through Hooptober, as they call it on Letterboxd, yeah. actually, so any chance to reference a Tobe Hooper film no, it's And good this time. just in, uh, The Return of Dracula, uh, what, what's that? Uh, the studio, uh, they're telling me that uh, was 1958... And it was directed by Paul Landris. And stars? And stars some people called Francis Lederer playing Count Dracula. It's actually a... I've um, never... So I've never... I don't, is there anything that you can tell us about this favorite vampire film of yours? <laughs> yes. That it stars people we've never heard of. Absolutely. Because it's, um, it's basically a take on a Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. It's oh, okay. Uncle Charlie is Dracula. Oh, cool. Okay. And it's a very cool film. It's set in America in the Midwest, and he does come to town in a very bright, sunny day. <laughs> right. So, but, so with it a, with a big hat and sunglasses? A, a big hat, certainly. Yes. 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 Yeah, Darren showed this to me. I always... Oh, whenever, I shown it to Whenever me. I think about it, it's like, oh, I probably showed it to me a year ago, and if I look back, it's probably five years ago. Yeah. But I do remember seeing that one. There's a, quite a different take on it, but I quite remember, I remember quite enjoying it. It's been a long time, long... Long, a lot of films under the bridge since then. Time flies when you're watching movies. Yes, um, definitely. And, and, the, and the missive was that we had to go with a deep cut. That's a that deep, a deep cut. cut. That's yeah. a definitely deep cut. Yeah, um, we had... I think we're going to... Because for various reasons, we're skipping our three films since we've seen since the last one. Because we've seen part. a fuckload of films. <laughs> Don't the make me choose three. Yes, uh, Matt, Matt Tibson at the Hollywood and uh, James Partridge with his Terrify programming, <laughs> as well as um, the crew at the Academy. Uh, All of Between those. them, it's been... And even Capitol. Yeah, I, in on where that. I saw a foreign correspondent just last Friday. Mm. Um, but oh, yeah, I saw Bob, t- uh, uh, Bob, Bob Carroll, Ted, and Alice. Yeah. Great. And but, I didn't go to all these movies, but uh, because of it was US political season, I watched a lot of movies just to not watch U.S. political season. Oh, what, you mean he was biding his time? Hey, oh. get out. <laughs> I thought of that this morning. I saved it up. <laughs> was it worth it? Don't be proud. No. <laughs> um, but um, many sad things have happened since our last uh, discussion. And one of the saddest is, is he uh, lost his teeth. <laughs> and it's, well, it's, it's a shame to us all. And I'm not doing the accent. Okay, uh, well... Uh, I I might or might not have been, but the passing of Sean Connery uh, is something that we felt like should go um, mentioned. And before we kick into our actual ludicrously specific theme, which is vampire-centric, um, each of us watched a 
I don't, I don't know if you'd say deep cut Sean Connery. Just a slightly film, but, rarer. But yeah, I mean, I did see, did rewatch Goldfinger yesterday, which was that's a lovely a deep one. Cut. But that, that's no, not a deep cut. And no, I watched The Rock the day after he passed away. That's an even more deep. shallow cut. Although, <laughs> it's like a Nick. Although it was, it was fun because it was, uh, I was introducing my I'm son. I'm going to throw you in a cage. <laughs> it's like a paper cut. Yes, there we go. I'm, I ignore that one. <laughs> yeah, I, it was, I decided it was fun to introduce my son to the, the Nick Cage 90s Insanity tri- uh, Trilogy. So right. we did that, and a week later, right, of course, right. we went from The Rock to Con Air. And, uh, so you said to Aiden, gentlemen, welcome to The, the Rock. Rock. <laughs> yes. he, he basically spent the first 10 minutes going, now, is that Sean Connery? Is that Sean Connery? So just wait for the old guy with the long hair. <laughs> That's Sean Connery. That's yes. Sean Connery. So, and we really seemed to quite enjoy it. I mean, I'm probably, once again, father of the year for showing a 12-year-old uh, the Rock and Conair in consecutive weeks. Yeah, I don't what's that care. line about the prom queen? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go ask uh, Aiden and get him to say, I'll repeat that to us. Uh, yes. I'll, I'll do this in a Sean Connery accent. Hello, shifts. <laughs> <laughs> worth it. Worth it. I um. So I the film that I watched. I was gonna um watch The Hill uh, because I was interested in catching up with some of the Sydney Lumet uh, ones I hadn't tracked down, but I didn't. Uh, wasn't able to track that one down in time. I'd recently seen the Anderson tapes, which is a really cool, um, it's a really strange film because it's based on the idea that video surveillance is a thing that exists. <laughs> and, and it's, it's maybe the first Run film for the hills. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a heist film that has like that. What it's trying to pitch itself as quite high tech with all this surveillance going on. And, and I, I think it's one of those films that it's fair to use the word dated for. But within it that, it's actually quite fun and fresh. And, um, of course, um, Cindy uh, Lumet and Sean Connery also work together on The Offense and uh, Murder on the Orient Express and uh, even Family Business, which I haven't seen. But um, uh, instead, I tracked down Robin and Marion, which was with another... Uh, Frequent collaborator, um, You're welcome. R- Richard Lester. Yes, thank you. I didn't track it down at all. Darren tracked I'm it down so for me. Uh, Darren yes. is our movie bloodhound. If you yeah. want, want an obscure movie dug out in about three days flat, yeah. you get turned to that. As long as you scratch my tummy, I'm fine. <laughs> um, and I, as it happens, I, I meant to watch Robin and Marion for ages because I've been curious about Richard Lester, who's a director who did Hard Day's Night and Help and Petulia and the first and, two but, Superman films and a heap and of the other Musketeers, stuff. three Musketeers, and four, four Musketeers. Musketeers. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he did several films with um, Sean Connery, um, and the final one was Cuba. And um, I have the Steven Soderbergh uh, interview length book with uh, Richard Lester, which is half Steven Soderbergh's self-deprecating diary, which he then footnotes as the editor of Faber and Faber, further taking the piss out of himself, <laughs> and half the interviews. Um, and I found this quote um, about why Richard Lester and Sean Connery had a falling out after the making of Cuba. Um, why Sean Connery has not spoken to me since is because for the first time in his career, he's playing somebody who is weak, infect- ineffective, incompetent, helpless with women, and with a terrible toupee. And I can't imagine they didn't know this from the beginning. In the end, he wanted to have a go at recutting it himself to make it into a love story. He tried and it didn't work. Wow, I need to see this movie. Yeah, right. but I think in a nutshell, it captures like kind of that to me. It's like that Sean Connery, you know, he's he is playing one note at a time and he plays it. 
for all it's worth, mm-hmm. and you completely commit to it. And that was watching Robin and Marion was really interesting because I, I I hadn't been in a rush to see it because I'm like I've seen the Robin Hood movie so many times, and what different. I didn't know is <laughs> is that this is 20 years after the oh. fact, and he's been off in the Crusades, and he comes back home and. Uh, Marion's joined a nunnery, and <laughs> as you do, <laughs> yeah, and and Robin's been at war, and the sheriff has just been kind of like gradually, you know, increasing his fiefdom, but has also been a bit lazy. Although apparently Robert Shaw was mostly just drunk and unhappy on set, and so I which can't is a bit of a that. bastard as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ever, ever, yeah. I, lion heart, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of um, cynicism and there's a lot of undercutting of sort of medieval myth-making. The opening of it is um, this incredibly lengthy process, which in the end is launching one rock of a, off a catapult that doesn't hit a castle that's basically undefended anyway. <laughs> and it just kind of, um, you see like one of these more recent uh, medieval films like um, the Ridley Scott Robin Hood or the um, Guy Ritchie King oh, Arthur yeah. that are just like this kind is... of, you know, too fast to... Oh yeah, yeah, um, movies on plate yeah, mail. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> and, and Ronnie Barker plays Friar Tuck, oh, in nice. it, which is the reason why I saw that movie when I was about nine or ten years old. Right. Which is too young for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you mean too young to enjoy it, or too um, uh, well? It, 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 it ruins kind your impressionable of, young mind, or both. It's, it kind of it's it's not the tone of Robin Hood that a ten year old expects. Yes, let's, let's yes. just say that without giving spoilers. Yeah, and it's interesting to see him that Sean Connery in the seventies, which feels like you know so long ago, and yet already playing a very aged, mm-hmm. like kind of world weary. You know, and he's been at the Crusades and this and all that. Um, but it's just, um, as with so many of his films, it's just a testament to Sean Connery's charisma in that film that he ha- he doesn't necessarily have to do much in any given scene to just carry with him that mythos. And of course, that of you know, this is this hero. And it's funny to think back of, I'd say one of the ten moments in my life where a movie theater just went completely fucking nuts was in the opening weekend of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, when out of mm-hmm. nowhere, Sean Connery turns <laughs> up. And you would have thought, Jesus, show you know, just like... Yeah. And He's it's just such a, two lines and a smile. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and now you know why he was Spoiler cast. alert. <laughs> but yeah. now you know why he was cast. But none of those people, like, would have seen Robin and Mary, and it wasn't like there well, was... Probably a, the person who made it would have. Oh, maybe <laughs> Kevin Reynolds had, but I'm just saying, like, you know... It, it's, it wasn't one of those inside deep cut things that like, oh, why, why, why would they catch Sean Connery? Oh, because that was just like, he knew that people were going to be like, woohoo. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I have to say that I, yeah, it's having seen it when I was 10 years old, when he yeah. turned up, I thought that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I yeah. have never seen uh, this one. So. Robin and Marion. No. It, I, I, I recommend it. It's, it's, yeah. it's a leisurely amble in lots of ways and it has a really nice flavor to it it's audrey hepburn's first role in nine years she had retired from the screen and and the energy between her um who is simultaneously i think a technically better actor than sean connery but also has been away from the screen Mm. and and i think is trying to do different things and and Sean, who's just kind of amused by the whole thing, um, <laughs> is is really interesting. And and where the story goes is just really lovely. And just the kind of um, yeah, it's it, it's it's a lightly sad movie 
Mm. Um, and that there's there's a kind of sadness that permeates the whole thing, but not in a depressing way, which is a very strange energy. But yeah, I really uh, enjoyed that. And that's one of the films that Steven Soderbergh describes as a classic, although not reaching the level of masterpiece for um, Richard Lester. The three masterpieces he considers A Hard Day's Night, The Knack, and Petulia. And the four classics would be the two Musketeer films, Juggernaut and Robin and Marion. So if you're... Uh, Maybe we can revisit the other uh, classics or some other mm-hmm. Lester oh, for a future. Is, well, I've never seen. Yeah. I've never seen Juggernaut. Yes. So I'd be quite that's good, that's good to track it down. Yeah. yeah. So what did you watch, Steve? Well, before oh, before oh, we oh, do that, let's just mention the cast of Robin and Mary. Oh, okay. You go. You go. So we haven't talked about Richard Harris yet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's so you've got Sean Connery. You've got the the other one, Audrey Hepburn. The other one. The other one. I'm sure that's how she would have loved it. That's kind of how she's treated in the film at certain points. There's a really, there's a really like dated like woman drivers gag that's just really. There's a few real cringe moments. Uh, little John is Nicol Williamson who played um, my favorite role, uh, Merlin in uh, the uh, in Excalibur. Right. It's um, okay. which I watched four times since I was nine, and not since I don't think. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's, uh, then you've got uh, you've got Richard Harris playing Richard the Lionheart. Yeah. You've got um, uh, Robert Shaw playing the um, Sheriff of Nottingham. It's um, there's there's others I'm not thinking of, but there's also Ronnie Barker again. Yes. I'll mention it because it, it, he just didn't do straight roles, oh. and it was um, it was a fairly big deal when he did do yeah. that role. It's a funny film because the first 10, 15 minutes of it sort of feel like Robin Hood fan fiction. And there's a little bit of, Oh look, that's Friar Tuck now, you know? And, <laughs> and, um, and I do think if you settle, if you, it does take about 20 minutes to really mm. settle into the emotional heart of it. And then once you get to that, it's really just quite compelling. Mm. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Well with me, of course, being the, the genre guy, I had a ton of things I could have chosen, of course. Outland, was it? I have seen Outland. I watched it a couple of years ago for the first time. Mm-hmm. really quite enjoyed that. Uh, there's his scene-stealing performance of all time and, of course, Zardos. Mm-hmm. But I did um, drunk tweet that. To be fair, his, his thong does steal this oh, scene everything. from him. It's, it's, it's a movie where everything steals the scene from everything else. His Although, thong brings all the boys to the arm. <laughs> <laughs> However, I did, I did actually watch that and drunk tweet that uh, a couple, about a year or so ago. So... I thought maybe not. And then I thought, of course, that we'd just watched The Untouchables, we'd watched a couple of the others. There's The Meteor, although Meteor is a movie where you just If you say Highlander 2, I'm going one. to punch you out. <laughs> I did actually mention it, didn't I? I said, well, there's that great performance of his. I hear he's very good in it. Right. And I <laughs> contemplated it, but I'm not that much of a masochist. I don't want to damage my fist. I, I actually watched uh, a little thing called uh, The Man Who Would Be King. Oh, oh yes. which and is my fa- it's not really a deep cut but <laughs> it's, it's my absolute it's one of my favourite films of all time I, that's pretty much one of the reasons I thought I would watch that because I'd never seen it you've talked about it so many times that it's one of your favourite films based on a Roger Kipling story and it pairs up the best buddy team I've ever seen oh, Michael Caine and Sean Connery in the same film playing best friends being best friends looking like they're having the time of their lives on set. Even though I, I read later on, they basically were confused because they weren't getting a lot of direction. And they kept saying, well, why aren't you giving us direction? It's like, I just thought you'll, you'll let you figure it out for yourself. And right. they, this they is John Houston, really did right? John yeah. Houston directing And it. Christopher Plummer's in there as well, oh, right? Yeah, it is, yeah, just in a sort of a wraparound section. He kind of, he plays playing, playing Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. Mm, so he's right. 
And it this is, is one a, of those films I think I saw when I was nine or ten, but don't really remember at all. It's the sort of movie you should see, I think, when you're nine or ten, mm. because it's it's a boys own adventure film, right. painted with an enormous brush, with two actors in it that are just filling the screen the whole time. Yeah. And it's it's set in colonial uh, India, so I watched this quite late at night, and I went as colonial as I could for uh, for John Connery. I got up the eighteen year old. Johnny Walker, uh, and a couple of those, uh, for Sean Connery. And right. You're using the movie just to get drunk. <laughs> I was not getting drunk because that stuff's too expensive to get drunk. Yeah. But, I, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a fantastic ride that it really, you know, you, you know right off the bat that things are going to turn bad. It's two, two scoundrels, basically, no other right. way to put it, who mm. decide to con their way into becoming the kings of a small... Uh, country to the north of Afghanistan that no white man's ever been in before and right off the bat you know that it's all going south but it's following that journey of them and watching as Sean Connery becomes the dog that chased the car and caught it and has no idea what to do because <laughs> what happens when you get everything that you always wanted in life you sometimes lose perspective of what you actually were going for yeah. and the moment that Sean Connery decides he's a god it's mm. it's fun for all the family so it's right. it, <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, you can probably talk more about this than i can probably at length because i'm sure you've seen it multiple times absolutely but no you you're putting you're putting it right and uh, i mean it's fun fact uh, michael kane met his wife on on the set it's, uh, she was one of the... Um, the, the uh, That's fact, very she... interesting. <laughs> is <it? laughs> this is going to be ludicrous accents. <laughs> the trip to Massey. <laughs> well, that's so much better than having a conversation with myself. Superlative. Yeah, it's just a tremendous film. Yeah. It's... Um, in, I, I haven't had been had the luck to have see it yet, but it should be seen on the biggest screen. Imaginable. I would love to see it on a big screen because it's shot in um, not in it's, it's set in India, but I think it was shot in Morocco, hmm. and the the landscapes are just stunning, and you've got mountain scenes which were filmed in the French Alps. So it you need a giant screen TV to watch it, or as you say, on the big screen, wide screen, because it, it's just every scene. That shows the, the landscape. Your jaw just drops at some of this mm. landscape that they're walking through, and it's the the humour in it is fantastic because you've got these two con men that were in the English and the British Army, and they they go full Windsor Davies when they when they're training up the mm. the troops around them. There's a lot of you horrible man, and I'm just have loving it. I'm sitting on the couch with my with my Scotch, just going, "This is the best way to spend two hours of my day." <laughs> yeah, and better than Highlander to the Quickening. Um, ooh, uh, Highlander to the Quickening is interesting. I'm getting my punching fist out. <laughs> I'd have to say it is a movie so bad and so incoherent that I've only seen it twice, <laughs> and that's saying something. Oh God, sadly, I've even seen the um, director's cut one, just to, just to, where they take out the alien stuff, but not enough to actually take out the alien stuff. Right. It's so it's um, my brain is, the it, is it the quicker inning? <laughs> <laughs> I mean the, that, that, it's that, the quicker that's groaning. a movie there which which even though Sean Connery is an originally the first one Egyptian and then the second one an alien still plays bagpipe music whenever he takes a walk down the street. He's walking through the streets of, of Glasgow and bagpipes are playing and I'm going is that Egyptian bagpipes or alien So he, he's Moroccan or something in the first one, isn't he? Spanish. He's Egyptian. Egyptian, yes. okay. I, I, I just saw he the goes, first one. He gets I, called a Spanish peacock. I'm Egyptian. Yeah, <laughs> but but also he... 
I'm Egyptian. That's like <laughs> that's a that's a very compelling. I mean, it's it's kind of testament. He's just one of those actors that it's just like you you just let him be his natural charisma, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're going to follow him no matter how implausible. Absolutely. It is. And Especially the, and, with that accent every time. My yeah. favorite part... Well, of, he's Russian as well. That Russian, I was going to say, my favorite part of The Hunt for Red October is they start the dialogue in Russian as the camera yes. zooms in, and then suddenly it's just it's just Sean. And yeah. you just go, well, I'm accepting they're speaking Russian. Yeah. And more movies should do little... But little Sam Neill like and Tim Curry both do really good Russian accents <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as his number one and number two. And, yeah. <laughs> and Sean Connery doesn't just, give a fuck. Yeah. Sean Connery just fades into the background with Do you want his, an accent or do you want a movie star? <laughs> Dostoevsky. <laughs> So, on to you, Darren. On to me. Well, I've even brought some props. Oh, props? That's going to be... <laughs> that, that translates visually. <laughs> we'll describe them. Don't worry. Let me re- re- reference. This is an audio-based... <laughs> well, when I say props, I'm going to be talking about the Great Train Robbery. Theme by Jerry Goldsmith. I could have just cut this in as an MP3. <laughs> Absolutely, but why not just... Uh, this is just such a great thing. Again, a film I saw is quite young. We'll pause it there. And there goes a copyright yeah. violation on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed that. It's very, parody. Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> so, yeah, Jerry Goldsmith. It's uh, The Great Train Robbery is the movie that I saw. I, I love it so much I even did some notes, which I wouldn't normally do on this sort of thing. It was um, written and directed by um, John Crichton. Uh, sorry, not John Crichton, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton. Right. The, uh, I didn't, didn't know John. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Michael stole it from John. It's very controversial. That, there's a cloning thriller that actually like, <laughs> is based on Michael's true life story. And, and this is a film from 1977. So this is a film from 1977. So this is Michael, early work Michael Crichton. Right. It's a, um, it's a caper film. It's a joyous romp of a movie. And so this is, um, you've got the lovable rogue and um, Sean Connery. Well, I thought that might be who it is. Exactly. <laughs> and when I say lovable, that's lovable by every woman in the film, including the extras who are eye-fucking him as well. <laughs> so um, Sean, <laughs> Sean Connery, he poses as a bored nobleman. He's actually a master thief, a safecracker, who decides to rob a moving train. That's a feat that has never been attempted before up until that point and in this case the target is the Crimean gold so the the first part of the film is really a heist movie there uh, where he's collecting or stealing four keys that are required to open the lockbox on the train and then the uh, well it's actually three quarters of the movie is practically right. that and then it's the uh, and then it's the theft and um, you've got uh, not only uh, Sean Connery, you've also got uh, Donald Sutherland in there as well. And uh, Leslie Ann Down. two actors. <laughs> and Leslie Ann Down, who's, uh, right. who's the sort of almost like a gangster mole type character. Right. But it's, it is such a fun film. And there's, there's, here's a quote for you. Willie, if you turn nose on me, I'll see you in Lavender. 
<laughs> which is um, where um, Wayne Sleep, its um, famous ballet uh, performer, uh, has a has a role in this, and he um, uh, he plays Master Thief Clean Willie, um, and uh, the uh, Michael Crichton actually uh, hired him because he just wanted him to do all the stunts himself, right, including yeah. climbing up a wall without support. Which um, this is like Ocean's Eleven, where they cast that one guy who was in the. (laughs) (laughs) And Wayne Sleep said, "But I'm, I'm an actor." He said, "But but, that's." But he just climbed it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Busy life of an actor. Can you climb up the wall? Uh, Here we go. (laughs) So, as you may have heard, Jerry Goldsmith's score, awesome score. There's. there's even uh, this film brings us the first mention and possibly only mention of the fifty mile an hour club. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second there, but then I went, oh, okay, okay. And it's not Sean Connery who brings it up, actually. Right. And the tagline for this movie was, uh, "Never have so few taken so much from so many." Have I um have either of you seen the Saturday Night Live sketch of Celebrity Jeopardy? Yes. I, I felt like it was quite fitting that um Alex Trebek uh passed in <laughs> the short order time. with oh, Sean oh. Connery because um there are Sean Connery's character, not played by Sean Connery, but impersonated by Daryl Hammond, I believe, but is a recurring um sketch where Sean Connery deliberately misinterprets Jeopardy categories and insults Alex Trebek in <laughs> willfully vulgar ways. And uh, it's um, it's a rather brilliant piece of uh, thing. Um, one other person to actually related to Sean Connery to pay tribute to as well, who passed away this year, I hadn't realized, is Honor Blackman, um, which I only discovered last night when I watched uh, Goldfinger and oh, looked up yes. Honor Blackman and uh, and one thing if you haven't seen Goldfinger in a while I think um, the character Pussy Galore gets a very um, I think kind of the, the char- sort of the oh Bond girls with Pussy Galore it's like, she is an she's awesome character she, she yeah. is so I mean and she's not just because she's a strong woman she's older than Connery she she has her own kind of modest life aspiration. She just once the once the heist is done, she's just going to retire. She's kind of she works with Goldfinger, but it's not like you know the the power structure there seems less straightforward than almost his power relationship with everybody else. And yeah, yeah. she uh, she's like by far, and it's it's also interesting. I have the Bond fifty box set, and um, each of the discs and what's probably an already regrettable decision, has a picture of the core Bond woman on each of them. And um, for and that's the only one where it's like a woman who's wearing long sleeves and wearing pants and not... <laughs> yeah. it's, mm. it's, um, that's what, that's what up there in one of my favorite Bond oh, movies. And, it's, and yeah. her performance is just, you know, head and shoulders above a lot of... As you get into like my, my least favorite diamonds of forever... Yeah. Where you've got plenty of tool, and I just about threw the DVD out the damn window the first time I saw well, that. Christmas like, Jones, I mean, that's <laughs> Doctor Christmas Jones. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, and that's that's sort of like the kind of what the the Bond girls, you know, uh, let let's make them like incredibly brilliant, but also desperately needing of saving. Pussy Galore doesn't need saving. Pussy Galore doesn't need Bond. She just. Um, she just wants to help out with this heist, get some money, money. and mm. retire. And 
Um, and yeah. Now with with Pussy Galore, it might just be the book. I'm not sure because, uh, but I know that in the book she's. Um, She's a lesbian who falls for Bond's charms. That I is don't think is it hinted in not the book. Really, I don't the, in the, the movie, the only she has a very beautiful team of five female right. flyers that she organizes. But um, yeah, the kind of that she's a lesbian just waiting for right. that. Now, I mean, it's, so you wouldn't pair this with um, Riddick, the third no. film. <laughs> I haven't, seen, I haven't <laughs> seen Riddick. The, I mean, there's the, another the, lesbian changeover. Right. No. Yeah. The, the quote unquote seduction scene, I think mm-hmm. is very easily also readable as a rape scene. And so that's actually, I would say more of what would be problematic, but also mm-hmm. like, given and I don't want to spoil Goldfinger for people who haven't seen it for a while because there's a big third act kind of mm-hmm. surprise in it but um, yeah I, I feel like it's hard to fully characterize what happens between that fade out on screen and that character's subsequent decisions uh, in that way because obviously that character's made some choices that don't point to completely hating James Bond and being traumatized and trying to get revenge against. But again, Elsa, 60s were a very different time. (laughs) James Bond's opening scenes in that one has the line where he slaps a young lady on the the backside and says, off you go, man talk. And I remember that very, very clearly because then you get Pussy Glore coming in who you can know if... If she wanted to take him down, she would find mm-hmm. a way. She's she's not going to be subservient. And she's not the only one in the film because, at, you know, the sister who is off in Switzerland with a gun. Um, and I loved how even in the third movie, they're undercutting the cliches. Um, he tries to introduce herself and he's like, Bond. And she's like, drive. <laughs> and it, it, it's funny how I think there became like kind of a latter day. It's like oh, they really needed to refresh that stuff because it had gotten stale. And it's like, they were addressing that from the beginning. Yeah. Um, shall we shift gears I think into shall. the bloodier world? Yes. Before we do, <laughs> I'm going to be incredibly self-indulgent here. Okay, you, know, you, you do it. For a change. <laughs> oh. Well, it's, uh, Skeets and I have had a, had a, a discussion before about... Um, uh, about accents and I've explained it when you're doing an accent or an impression that I find the easiest way to do an impression is to um, is to sing in that voice <laughs> I was kind of hoping you'd do this and kind of hoping you wouldn't but you committed okay. yourself let's do it because I've heard you sing as Sean Connery before <laughs> so let's give this one you, a shot you have? <laughs> we, we had a movie night one time where Sean Connery appeared in a movie and for the rest of the night I couldn't stop. Myself. There was, there was, it was, it was Connery karaoke for about three hours. So karaoke. If wherever you are, I believe that the heart does go on. Once more, you open the door, and you're here in my heart, and my heart will go on and on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sure about the choice. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. <laughs> oh, well done. All right. Um, well, on, no. on that note... That's made the segue uh, This is my retiring <laughs> from yes. ludicrously specific. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, yeah. <laughs> I say retire before I'm thrown <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Right. This is like Trump's retirement from the presidency. Doug is working oh, out yeah. how this can be cut completely yeah. from... That. No, no I, a, sh- a shared pain is a very important uh, 
part of the creation myth. I think all three of us <laughs> believe in the power of shared pain. pain and um, the movie Marathon's coming up, by the way. Yes, yeah, um, pain Everybody who's listening probably knows about that. If not, drop us a line. We'll make you come. Um, <laughs> but let's get to the uh, topic at hand, uh, so, which was inspired in part by... Well, I'll let you explain the topic. Well, the topic, and I've got it written down because this is a doozy... <clears throat> The three highest-grossing vampire movies in consecutive even-numbered years from 1992 to 1996. Yes, this is Doug's one. This is Doug's one this time. So, and the way this happened, um, because Darren and I have basically been living at the Hollywood. um, Separate rooms. Yeah, (laughs) separate rows. Um, And uh, thanks to um, James Partridge, who puts on the Terrify Film Festival, um, this last weekend we got to see both um, From Dust Till Dawn and Bram Stoker's Dracula on the big screen, both of which were films I'd seen before, but not for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, and I saw that they were 1992 and 1996. And I just had had a look at how where they were, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. They both fall in the, um, uh, the highest-grossing vampire films of those respective years. I wonder what the highest-grossing vampire film of 1994 was. And it was a Neil Jordan film I'd never seen. And we all love Neil Jordan, right? Company of Wolves, Crying Game, top-notch director. Mm-hmm. So um, Just add Tom Cruise. <laughs> or, yes. So, um, so I guess we'll start with 1994's interview with the vampire. Because we're not going to uh, go in chronological no, order. No, we're, no, not, we're, we're not, not going not that specific like that. enough. I was going to go in chronological order. <laughs> But, but we, we got a request. request. Yeah, we did. So, not, not for me. Um, and oddly enough, this is this is my uh, my Mandela moment because it's interview with the vampire, and I have called it interview with a vampire for twenty five years. So <laughs> ditto. Yeah, interview with the vampire. The Vampire Chronicles is the full title. Yeah, I, which I I thought I was like I saw that on the DVD case. I and I was like. Is this like kind of a post thing that they added? And like, no, I guess no. they were going to do a series of these. That's what I can't So it's with. either Interview with a Vampire or subtitle Boo Hoo, I'm a Vampire. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so for those who haven't seen it, to briefly summarize, Interview with a Vampire is the story of a depressed old man telling a shapeless story to an incurious journalist about his needy friend and his one true love, a 12-year-old girl. High fives all around. <laughs> <laughs> Steve just like as he has to spit out his ear. He's like pl- plot summary. I can take a drink during that. A little bit more about the interview with the vampire. So Neil Jordan, his first film in 1982 was Angel, and then he followed it up with The Company of Wolves and Mona Lisa, which were both cult hits. And then he made his first attempt to break into the studio system. Um, in Hollywood with We're No Angels, um, and that flopped, and then he returned to Indies, and then in 1992, The Crying Game came out and got nominated, <laughs> which um, Steve Skeet is participating in right now. <laughs> I was not expecting that from you. I was not expecting that from summer. <laughs> okay, recover, recover, recover. We're professionals here. I, I should say I went into the interview with the vampire quite prepared to give it the benefit of the doubt. Right. It did not yeah. return the favor. Um, <laughs> We're only professionals if does, we get yes. paid for this, thank you, sponsors. <laughs> oh, yes. Or uh, future sponsors. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so after the crying game, my theory is that, you know, 
Um, he could do anything he want. Bram Stoker's Dracula was a success at the box office. Um, and then we have a novel, Interview with a Vampire, that's been kicking around since 1976, in which Anne Rice explored the immortal theme, what if vampires were sad and also sexy? Um, Edith Milton of the New Republic wrote about the novel, to pretend that it has any purpose beyond suckling eroticism is rank hypocrisy, um, to which the public went on to say, that's fine with me, and uh, sold millions of copies and spawned 11 sequels. Um, so eventually, uh, Hollywood decides to make it into a film. Dave and Geffen uh, pumps $70 million or so into a budget, gets Neil Jordan to do it. Neil Jordan rewrites the script but doesn't get credit for it because Anne Rice. Um, they cast Tom Cruise and immediately gets criticized for that by Anne Rice, yep. who uh, had originally championed Julian Sands and said, quote unquote, Cruise was no more my vampire Lestat than Edward G. Robinson is Rhett Butler. I've seen a list <laughs> of at least a dozen different actors that she preferred potentially to Cruise, even to the point where she would have preferred Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise switching roles. Right. Um, uh, her first, apparently when she wrote the novel, her first thought was Rutger Hauer. Right, yes. Which would have been interesting. And then they, when they bought the uh, rights, they offered it, uh, were going to offer it to John Travolta, which would have been Jeez. something a little <laughs> different in the ni- late 1970s. That didn't get off the ground. Wow. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Fuck so, the, the other um, interesting note about the uh, production is that the... Uh, original actor cast as the interviewer was River Phoenix and after most of the film was shot but before the scenes where he interviews uh, Brad's Pitt's character who is actually the titular vampire not Tom Cruise despite Tom Cruise being the more famous vampire Lestat um, he was recast with uh, Christian uh, Slater and the film is dedicated to River Phoenix's memory um, it also marks the last appearance of Guns N' Roses in their original incarnation in the closing credits oh, cover okay. of Sympathy with the Devil before uh, Slash left for the first time. I was so over um, the film when I watched it today. <laughs> I didn't wait for the, the, uh, the credits started. That was enough for me. Right. <laughs> um, so the film was a box office success, earning both Oscar nominations for original score and art direction, as well as a Razzie win for Cruise and Pitt for worst on-screen combo, which, interestingly, was a tie with Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone in The Specialist. But even more interesting, one of the nominees was another film that was adapted from an Anne Rice novel, Exit to Eden, which was um, <laughs> with Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, um, and Exit to Eden was um, written, written under one of her um, pseudonyms for Smutty Material and Rampling. Um, but the character said, I believe the characters that Aykroyd and O'Donnell play aren't even in the original no, novel, it's... so it's very um, loose. Anyway, despite its success, they he never managed to do movie. A, sequel, a sequel for a decade when they managed to do Shadow of the Vampire with Alia, which uh, was disowned. Queen of the Vampire? Queen of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire is a completely much better film with um, uh, Elias Merhej directing uh, on the Nosferatu filming. Um, But yeah, Jordan Jordan went went on to do Michael Collins and then continued to slide down the budget level to Butcher Boy and ended the affair and has kind of worked pretty much at that level ever since Return to Vampires with Byzantium, which I haven't seen. Um, So you guys love this film. Oh, yes. I'm a true cheerleader for Brood Pit. Oh, God. This movie is is definitely the direct line of succession from there to Twilight, isn't it? I mean, sexy vampires. The 
absolute shit ton of vampire porn novels that filled the library's shelves, and Dawn has read quite a few of them, my wife, because uh, there is an entire subgenre dedicated to vampire writers. But to be fair, though, isn't like the 70s? I mean, it's not like somebody woke up in the 90s and was like, oh, Jess Franco never existed. I'm going to make a vampire movie that's sexy. <laughs> you know, or even um, the um, Paul Morrissey, Blood for Dracula and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, but it's, it's, for me, it was the first vampire movie where the vampire didn't want to be a vampire. And I saw this at the cinema. And I think I ran across it once on television. I've never watched it since. And I remember it left me mm. cold. And oddly enough, I think I probably enjoyed it more than you two did, but only in parts. It's, it's, I didn't enjoy first act to third act. For me, yeah. the most interesting part is the second act. Yes, yes. The first the act. Kirsten Dunst yeah, act. The Kirsten yes. Dunst well, act. Yeah, that's when the movie's actually pardon fun. Pardon the pun, yeah. but Kirsten Dunst actually brings some life into the movie. She does. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, uh, <laughs> as she takes life out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, because, the, I mean, the first act is literally the double act with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the Deep South in the 1700s. Yeah. And it's, for me, the, the editing kind of gets, it's kind of weird because it kind of jumps a lot mm. at the start. And it feels a little choppy. And the original cut yeah. was 20 minutes longer, and so oh, yeah, I, I, I suspect they did a lot to kind of, of get it moving quicker, but I think that yeah. probably just lost a lot of anything that would let you hook into the characters, perhaps. And what this film proves is that you shouldn't have a monotone voice being the narrator of the movie. Mm. He's broody and sad and boring for most of the Brad Pitt. Is. Yeah. But I, I saw this film... Um, on the day of my birthday, I believe it was the first time I was legally able to see a R16 movie. Right. And so the first R16 movie you saw, of course. No, uh, of no. course. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. For yeah. the record, of course. Yeah. Yes. Swear on Bibles. <laughs> legally. <laughs> Thank you for the save there, Dust. <laughs> it was also the first time I was ever carded at a movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and the last time. <laughs> it, I mean, it's not super over the top. It's, it's oh, there is a whole thing where um, there's a lot of slicing and yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some, but and but that I've got to say that has not held up well. Oprah someone, Winfrey walked out after ten minutes apparently because it was so bloody. Was it bloody? She thought it was it bloody, just bloody so boring. shit. <laughs> no, no. She she thought she thought there were for, movies that were, worked for the forces of good and worked for the forces of evil, and this was one for the forces of evil. Mm. Yeah, because she I thought she saw the future where Tom Cruise was going to be dancing on her furniture, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where Tom I mean, Cruise would stop trying to use accents. Yeah, because oh. he uses all of them in this film. Yes. He does a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I couldn't figure out what I, he was trying I, to do. Honestly, near the end of the film, at the final scenes where he was in there, and he's doing a kind of a faux English accent, and he's got the long blonde hair, and I'm like, they could have saved a shit ton of money by hiring Carrie Elways, because he would have done that role yeah. in exactly the same way, and possibly better. Yeah. And funnily enough, Anne Rice oh, loved his performance. She sent him an apology letter afterwards, saying well, I was completely wrong. Anne Rice also may have... I mean, to be fair, she had that published in the trades in the lead up ah, to the Oscars. So maybe it was uh, so the extent to which the networks may give another little nudge to say, "Yeah, oh, he's awesome." Yeah, <laughs> or it might have been actually seeing it and being like, "Actually, Brad Pitt's way more of a problem in this than Tom Cruise is." <laughs> mm. And it is. I mean, I love Brad Pitt as an actor, but like Brad Pitt minus fun, you get Ad Astra, or you get this, yes. you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know, Brad Pitt and. Ocean's Eleven or anything where he gets just to have a little spark. Yes, he's endlessly watching. Well, Monkeys, for instance. Yeah. Where he's yeah. just, if it wasn't for him, yeah, that movie would be depressing. Oh, yeah. 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 Where he has a character to play. It's This was just sad, broody man. And so, 
It's live a little. <laughs> yeah. He lives vampire. a lot. He lives for hundreds of years. Like broody vampires, if you take that and you give it to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, then they did, they did have a positive effect in the 1990s. Oh, yes, and they take the piss out of... Yeah, um, of there's an episode where they take the piss out of the Anne Rice-style right. vampires. But mm. Kirsten Dunst is the reason to see this movie. Who was picked off the street. She was the first person they uh, uh, auditioned for the role. And, wow, yeah. and fascinating that she wasn't an introducing Kirsten Dunst. No, she I mean, was just years a old, standard credit. I believe when they right. filmed it, she wasn't allowed to see it, apparently. Her <laughs> mother said she couldn't mm. see it because it was too bloody and would be too scary. Yeah. But yeah, she once she arrives in the movie. Every single person in Well, that's a nice dynamic, too, because then you suddenly yeah. you do get the two, the reason for Brad Pitt not to just walk out in the sunlight. Because if you're that sad of being a vampire, the sun comes up every morning. Yeah. <laughs> you can just get out of your coffin, you know, knock on our sunroof, and then, and, and, you know, off you go. But And it's so, such a complicated role for her, because she's, it's, uh, it's, yeah. Brad Pitt is her, her, um, her daddy, who she's also madly in love with. Yeah. And it's, it, it, that's, that is a, the best part of the movie. And it is actually a really, really good part of the film. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it, she does have a couple of moments where Tom Cruise and her have that, that shouting, that kind of almost faux oh. Shakespearean shouting when the dialogue becomes super Anne Rice. But that yeah. is it's, so it's Tom the, Cruise, though, yeah. isn't it? It's um, certainly around that period. It's if he was going to yeah. act, he was going to shout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can hear me shouting. <laughs> you can't handle the sun. <laughs> and there's, yeah, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of pretension in that. I mean, we've got two quite pretentious films, <laughs> very non-pretentious yes. films in this in this episode today but uh, it's when it when it gets into that one where you think you just you just have the reciting dialogue directly off the page and it doesn't feel natural it feels so forced that they're, they're having to give these these florid speeches at the top of their lungs and yeah, yeah. you're a vampire just you know be a lost <laughs> boys about it party all night all night sleep all day never grow old never die one thing that was a big um revelation for me is i uh, um had been watching the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows, and of course I'd seen the movie several times, but um, it was watching Interview with the Vampire after having seen that was kind of like watching Galaxy Quest and then five years later saying, I wonder what Star Trek's all about anyway, <laughs> and putting it on and being like, oh, this wasn't like a kind of, oh, maybe we'll make something that's kind of like this. This is like, we're just going to piss all over. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. just like, literally like, let's just take this passive aggressive relationship between these people from two different eras and tweak it a little bit. But that, and let's just make them flatmates in Wellington and throw in Corey Gonzalez McCure and like, um, <laughs> And so that that was a really like oh I missed the point of that movie and the series <laughs> quite a bit but um but it's still enjoyable with that, that what we do in the shadows what we do in the shadows yeah, yeah. yeah. he's not he's retracting what no he's I can tell that you were, were not a big fan of this movie as I say like, there's 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 bits I like but it, it for me there's always even in that middle section which I quite enjoy Antonio yeah. Banderas turns up and it's just wow he's there with the the nineteen nineties. You know, mm. he looks like a member of Extreme or something, and mm, one of the yeah. one of the, the soft rock bands. You think he's going to start singing more than words? Exactly, <laughs> and he just he, he turns up there and just 
kind of adds to the every we're all sad here. Everybody's sad. <laughs> here. And there's that Parisian theater thing. I yeah. just didn't connect to that at all. And then <laughs> I and I could use a bit cheap being would, a vampire. I would love to see the reviews on the trades of that show. Just going, it's fantastic, but they seem to have a new actress every night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the director must be a bastard. <laughs> it's yeah, that that doesn't quite ring true. And I mean, it is it is you know a fairly stylized section, but. It throws a lot of shit at the wall. I mean, you've got voodoo, yeah. you've got hmm. vampires playing humans playing vampires, you've got, you know, twelve-year-old vampire in a relationship, kind of not in a relationship with a thirty-year-old yeah. man. It's, you've got dead poodles, dead poodles and rats, yeah. and it's, and and eventually you've got you know rotting to and burnt to a crisp uh, Tom Cruise. And which hey, <laughs> not saying any problem with burnt to a crisp rotting Tom Cruise. But for some reason, it makes him into into <laughs> Mister Punsley. He starts making jokes at the end of the movie, which does not gel with him at the start of the movie. Yeah. Apparently, so that's more the because the the second film which they never made is Vampire: The Start, which is his his the second interview with a vampire. Right. Which is, um, yeah, but it never happened. So, uh, any research on that? Uh, I, I think um, <laughs> I think Neil Jordan was just done after that. <laughs> I think it was one of those ensembles that was too expensive to keep going, and mm. and Tom Cruise had other things to do. And so, I think I think I mean I I didn't find anything in my research, but I suspect given that Neil Jordan went from that to Michael Collins, which was a much lower produced thing, and it, that dealing with Hollywood and dealing with big name actors was not something that he really loved. Um, and that, I mean, just watching his career trajectory, that seems to be the most logical explanation for him not being involved. And then I think that, you know, and there was, you know, Queen of the Vampires. Queen just of the had Damned. This, I've got, I've of got the a point. Someone's been screaming at us for about the last few minutes. Oh. Queen of the Damned was the, the earlier one, which yeah. I haven't seen, but it's. Um, and it's, Rice has disowned it. Uh, it's, it's the. Hell of a, hell of a soundtrack. Book. I'll tell you, I've, I've heard the soundtrack, never watched the movie. Right. Who's, who's on the soundtrack? It's, it's kind of thra- like 90s new metal-y rap, kind of rap rock ones, but it's got it's got some... Really that does sound like hell. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's very 90s. Right. You know, it was like Spawn and that came at about the same time when they were full of some well, super 90s I, it's, metal. But it was made in 2000, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, but it was probably soundtrack. 2002, yeah, but yeah. it was still, it was still kind it, of in I, that emo screen. I won tickets of. to that. <laughs> did you go? I did. So, I saw it. It's um, yay me. <laughs> but I remember absolutely nothing about right. it. In fact, I was working at a bookstore at the time. I think I got bookstore movie tickets to go and see it. Right. Because uh, my manager didn't want to see that shit, so I got to see it. <laughs> anyway, apparently Anne Rice and her son are developing a TV series version now. Right, um, not surprised. Um, and I think have been for a while, and may continue to be developing it for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we'll after, after every Twilight movie in the world has come out, I mean, there's going to be a few people burnt on that. It's uh, mm. you know, Bob, you, you go and have the same because yeah. Twilight is pretty much a rewrite of any Anne Rice one. Because I know that because don't watch all of them. Right. And complained about all of them, uh, and continued to watch the series because being a completist. But um, I, I, I sat down with her and watched for about ten minutes, and just kind of went, "I don't like this." Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back in three days when you're finished. So. Um, one of the the um, funniest things that I read is that David Geffen was a little worried that people might somehow read this movie as a bit gay. <laughs> And so, <laughs> really, and so there was a proposal to recast one of the leads as somebody who would never appeal to gays. Share. <laughs> <laughs> 
was she gonna play Kirsten oh. Dunst? Can't no, no, I. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the CGI version of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. I, th- I think there was originally they were going to do it gender flipped, um, uh, so that both the um, uh, both Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise's character were female leads, and Cher was floated for one of those roles. And when they said no, they said, "Well, what if we just make one of them, and then uh, that way nobody will get this weird thing about these two guys hanging out with each other all night and kind of like they they do yeah. the whole oh, bite and... the whole bite." orgasm oh, thing with the, the, as Stephen King called it uh, he referred to it as the ultimate ziplas fuck referencing flying and we got a whole section in Dance Macabre his, oh his, right his I've never read on. that I've heard oh, that's good I've, I've got it up in the, the bedroom you can take it home with you tonight it's, that's, that's a, it's a little dated now but it's a really interesting look on horror between films and it was one of the first books I think I read that got me into the horror films. How long does he spend complaining about The Shining in it? Oh, I don't know if he does. <laughs> he talks more about other people's stuff than his okay. own, but um, definitely when he's talking about the whole vampire one, he talks about the whole, you know, the bite as, yeah. as a, as a mm. kind of, as sex. And oh, it's, it's, it's the whole thing why he straight away with it and made Salem's Lot just a mm. fucking monster. You know, yes. it was, and it was, yeah. but a nuanced monster, but not kind of using that that whole kind of you know sex plus death. The thing. whole but Antonio Banderas subplot was all. Oh, yeah. It was all yeah. sex. It was, yeah. yeah. Everything. Um, well, you put Antonio Banderas in anything, and if you don't get a sexy plot, so a plot line out of it, you've done it wrong. Because <laughs> I mean, let's face it, I'm straight as an arrow. <laughs> he's a good-looking dude. Have you seen the skin I live in? Ah, uh, I think we may have I'm he's not. talking about a movie yeah I mean, Pedro okay. Almodovar <laughs> yeah no uh, possibly I didn't just, uh, anyway get back to me with that we'll come back to that yeah. anyway um, look that oh, before we go any further Skeets yes have you seen Raging Bull uh, what's Raging Bull <laughs> and oh, back to the movie <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I think because uh, we are we are working towards a deadline here so shall we leave on. interview with the vampire in the dust and move on absolutely to, um, to Francis, Francis Ford, Cop- Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> quite a mouthful 1992 and uh, some big old slut Dracula it comes to England. <laughs> we lost him again <laughs> to take back a lost love and uh, have some misty, wolfy, batty fun along the way. And I say big old, but of course you can put old slash young slash demon slash wolf slash mist yeah. slash bat slash whatever else he is. He's also the coachman, but he yes. is an old man because it's Gary Oldman. Yeah, so. yes. oh, yes. it kind of absolutely. Like and uh, <laughs> so this movie is starring Winston Churchill, Hannibal. Lecter, <laughs> Neo, the Dread Pirate Roberts, <laughs> the Rocketeer with nail and uh, with nail without eye, and the mother from Stranger Things. Well, there we go. <laughs> nice. That's a cast. I, I like that cast. <laughs> and I assume, yeah. assume we'd all seen this more than once. Oh, many past. a time. This was only my second viewing. So, oh. and um, I I watched it a couple of years ago on DVD, and um, and seeing it on the big screen was a hell of an upgrade from. Um, well, it was oh, called right. a super bit DVD, but it was quite grainy and um, absolutely. And uh, so Darren and I saw this at Terrify, mm. and we um, at the end of the prologue when the title came up, somebody yelled "fuck yes" <laughs> uh, or words to those equivalent, and, and yeah, I was like, "How this is great! This is perfect! Mm. What could be wrong with this movie?" And then it began. <laughs> <laughs> Now, and also to answer is, um, what is, 
how close to the novel it comes to. Yeah. I've um, got a Wikipedia... Uh, uh, no, sorry, a um, just an IMDb article here which gives us uh, some insight into that. So uh, bear with me and I'll read through it. It's, uh, and also, this is a good point to say, <laughs> ludicrously specific is the name of our podcast... We, uh, that is how we choose our subject. It's not necessarily how we do our research. <laughs> Can be a little bit... Are you saying it's ludicrously cursory? But this one it was. <laughs> it's shallowly specific. <laughs> so, here we go. So, through th- though this movie is notable, notable for being more faithful to Bram Stoker's novel than most other adaptions, numerous liberties were taken, including the pre-title prologue, and the subplot about Mina being the reincarnation of Count Dracula's wife. Uh, they are inventions of this movie. Now, that's a good point for me to stop, because that was something that I could not stand about this film at this time round. I've right. seen this film about five times. For some reason, the lost love reincarnated thing just got in my craw somehow it just didn't also because they had no chemistry whatsoever <laughs> and it, I've, I've done a little bit of res- a little bit of cursory research on that to find that um, Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder they were getting on fine in the rehearsals and then um, then it was a summer break and they came back they both hated each other and it's never been explained as to why Right, but, um, but it definitely it must have come up on yeah, stream at times. It really does show. Yeah. So I've interrupted myself, so I will uninterrupt myself. <laughs> the novel never explicitly identifies Dracula as Vlad the Impaler, and Mina has no personal connection to Count Dracula. This alters later scenes taken from the novel, novel, such as when Mina asks Dracula to turn her into a vampire and willingly drinks his blood. In the novel, Dracula forces Mina to drink his blood, and she is traumatized by the incident. So it just gives you, this is quite a lot of information there, but that that was one of the main things I wanted to talk about was that stuff is purely an invention. It is also um, what got a lot of the stars involved. The uh, Winona Ryder brought the script to, um, the script that they used to Francis Ford Coppola. Okay. And um, because of the lost love thing, that was why he wanted to do it. It was um, Gary Oldman um, wanted to do the film because of the line, I have crossed oceans of time just to find you. <laughs> he wanted to do a film that had that line in it. Right. It's, uh, and it's so... Keep <laughs> <yeah. laughs> in mind, Gary Oldman also did Lost in Space. So <laughs> I, I don't know what line in that one. <laughs> This Cold War just got hot. Maybe he just went, I wouldn't know. You say that. I'll react He just wanted to be a giant spider. (laughs) Spider, Spider-Man and all that. I have to say, that's a movie I saw in the cinema. I went, that wasn't that bad. And I watched it later on. I went, no, that was that bad. Are we talking about Lost in Space? Lost in Space. I literally walked out halfway through. And then for a work thing, everyone dragged me to it. And they're like, it can't be that bad. I'm like, it's terrible. They're like, oh, you like art movies. And thankfully, it was was a theater that served beer. So I drank my way through a second. Viewing got massive apologies. After. Yeah, I, I, you got to see the other half though. Yeah. Good on that, you. Was, up, was, up top, 
And oddly enough, no. if you saw, <laughs> enough, if you saw the first half, you probably saw the best half for a start. Yes, so yeah, that didn't it didn't improve. And it, so repeated viewings of that, oh, which gosh, for me was so only half a repeated viewing. When I went, <sighs> Jesus, this thing's worse than I thought. Was I drunk? Was yeah, I, that's, oh. that's plausible. Um, but <laughs> to get back to actually a well-made movie, first of all, I think we've sort of skated past the Francis Ford Coppola's yes. part of this because, like the as you know, it wasn't his script. But it is his direction, mm-hmm. and th- there are sh- there are not just scenes, but transitions between scenes yeah. that have more thought and care put into them mm-hmm. than some people's entire movies. Oh yeah, um, just and that's what was my enduring memory of the film was not some of the story issues which we've talked about and we'll mm. continue to talk about, but just what a visually sumptuous oh, film it is in yeah. in production design and cinematography in. Um, how how shots are th- designed and thought about and transitions. Walter Murch's editing, the music. It's just, and that's why I was like, I, I'll go see it on a Monday night that I have to go to work the next day <laughs> on the big screen. And and you know, all those issues aside, I really mm. was very grateful I did see it. And this, and despite my issues with it, which, and now one of the things I want to talk about with that is with. Dracula, I've been thinking back to all the versions I've seen of it, and I think all of them have a really fundamental problem, which is that Jonathan Harker is not an interesting character. (laughs) And in the original novel, which I haven't read, but it's epistolary, and so he only exists as a vehicle for the reader to be transported into experiencing Mm. um, arriving at this castle, whereas as soon as you put that in a film, it becomes a scene that's supposed to have some drama in it. And instead it's just a guy being weird and another person who should probably leave, but isn't for some reason. And that's all that goes on. And then he just hangs out in the castle for like, two-thirds of the film while other stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, the novel is written in the form of letters and diary entries. And yeah, it's, one of it's, my all-time yeah. favorite novels. I, I, it's I been a long time since so I read it, but I remember reading it in school, and it's, mm. you know, it is... Yeah. Definitely, his his part in it is not really that big. And I, mean, I was going to say the opposite of that. It's, well, it's, I mean, it's, he, as you say, he gets the movie going, but for a lot more of it, for me, in this, in this movie, definitely... Yes. I mean, Keanu Reeves, Absolutely. you know, we're not going to talk about the accent because, yes, he's he's not accent guy. <laughs> but it's, it's the... His Did he have Sean he's... Connery ever play Brothers? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably <Maybe> not. <laughs> but it's, he's, 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 he's a very kind of in-the-background character. He, mm. he Despite being, the, you know, the, the bigger name that they put on there, he's... Yeah. Everyone else around him can just, just sort of blows him off the screen, or just makes him not so much look bad, but just look invisible. He doesn't yeah. really feature that heavily in it. And, and that's yeah. it. His his character is transparent. Yeah. It is it is really a device in the movies. In the book, he's a, a deeper, well-rounded character, and you're pretty much for the first hundred pages, you are pretty much with the experience of Dracula is through his eyes. Yeah. So it's really exciting. And you, it's especially. I mean, I was I was a school kid too at the time reading that book, and it was uh, it felt it's uh, yeah it felt exciting to read it, mm. and 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 I didn't know that much about Dracula at the time. So uh, you're discovering all these things, and the three the three brides and all those sort of things at, the, at through the novel. It's never worked 
that I can see, it's never really worked in a movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, I, for me, the, the weirdest thing is that one of the most accurate retellings of it is Mel Brooks's Dracula agreed. Dead and Loving. Agreed. He doesn't tell really? enough jokes in that one to make it one of his... I haven't gone back to watch it again, but I remember watching it going, okay, sporadic joking. But he obviously loves the story because he's telling the story exactly as it should right. be told in a serious movie. And with the occasional pratfall and Leslie Nelson falling down and hitting yes. his head on something. And my all-time favourite comedy scene in that movie where uh, Stephen Whipper, is it, who's in the yes. movie? Uh, drives the stake through Lucy's yes. heart and is drowned in about 20 litres of fake blood in right. one take and just plays it off perfectly. I showed my son recently and even he, without showing the rest of the movie and I just thought it was hilarious. Just boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it's It's joy. And just watch that on, on YouTube. But hmm. it's there's, there's a lot of Dracula movies that, that, that get kind of the some Bits parts right. Pieces, the original absolutely. Dracula, Renfield, I mean, is, is a phenomenal part. Yes. and the, But the movie itself... Yeah, I've never loved the original is, Dracula. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a bit Nosferatu, stinky. the original, I think, the, the mm-hmm. weakest link is, again, the Jonathan Harker equivalent, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I remember being at a um, screening at the Civic where every single bit of acting that character did was met by loud laughing and it it made me angry at the time because i'm like well this is this is a seminal film but there was a small part of my voice it's like yeah but it's he's really not good in <laughs> you know and and Herzog's remake i haven't seen for a long time but i have sort of similar memories yeah of as well and it's it's, it's a device mm. he's a, yeah. a device to get dracula to london yeah that's really the way it's it's worked but i mean we, the original one was felt like a stage play this one that we're talking about today feels like an art gallery oh because it's gosh. just everything you look at visually stunning the, visually stunning the soundtrack I can never pronounce the the name of the I think he's a Polish director uh, a Polish director Polish composer hold the line um, yeah if you bring that one up we see if you've got a, a better better grasp of his name because I, I will make a mess but I had that soundtrack on cassette and would use the uh, the vampire prelude for or the vampire hunters prelude for every Dungeons and Dragons game start <laughs> that I ever had <laughs> Nerd, but it was because it's such an amazing one, and you heard it in every trailer, horror movie trailer, for about three years yes, afterwards. Yes, absolutely did. When when they just used it for tent music, and it, it fitted so many films in their in their trailers. Oh, and, and all the visual effects, bar one, um, were done in camera. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that giant book, and yes, um, the yeah. um, the map, the book, um, yeah, the the uh, the. Uh, the uh, what is it? Uh, it's Jonathan Harker is looking at the map while he's on the train, and so you've and got his faces. They just projected the map across his face. Yeah. yeah, and the, the train going across the top of the yeah. the book where they just built a giant book and then ran a model train over the top of it. So, yeah, yeah it's and I, I, I mean, if it's, it's weird, I don't think I'd be the one that likes this movie more than you two. Oh, I know, I love I've, the movie. I find it, it's, I, I always consider it a like real flawed flawed yeah. movie but flawed in ways that make it interesting not make yeah, it absolutely. a bad film because you can have movies where you, there's just that tragic horrible flaw in the middle and you just look everything after that you just go well I can't believe this film Wojciech Kilar yeah. is the name of the composer sorry we'll say that again I started smoking Wojciech Kilar who also did the music for the pianist it sounds yeah, like he's doing a Sean Connery Wojciech Kilar who did Death in the Maiden Portrait of a Lady We on the Night yeah it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic score, yeah. and as I say, when you put that with the visuals, the the bit because I didn't actually bother watching this movie I, this week, uh, I'll admit, because certain person <laughs> bought around his Blu-ray copy, but less than a year ago, and I know it was less than a year ago. That is actually true. And then about 
eight weeks later, I came downstairs and Norm was watching it on television. So I sat down and watched the second <laughs> half again. And I will, it is a movie I would sit down and watch if I just run across it yeah. because mm. I do have good memories of it. I really do like the, the film. And every even when there is those, those one little things that kind of throw you out, like, you know, as I say, the, the weird accent yeah. that just go right throughout the movie, and especially, and it's not even Keanu, it's yeah. it's Mr. Hopkins. Yeah. What country is Anthony it's, Hopkins' he's character from? from Europe. He's from all of Europe. <laughs> Simultaneously, yes. he can say one sentence and go through six different timelines, and it's he it's, particularly stood out for me in this um, in this viewing. Just the fact that he's clearly playing mad, but mm. the most understated version of yeah. mad I've seen. Uh, where he's big he's just sort of. <laughs> He just says what he thinks, and but it, it's not big because there are a lot of actors who are playing big. Big, but he's just yeah, he just says mad things. But he's also having very... so much fun, oh, and that's yeah, absolutely. that's I that's think part of what makes this so yeah. watchable is yeah. that you know he's clearly enjoying himself and there's so much joy in the craft of it i mean that was mm. one really frustrating thing about interview with the vampire is it very much felt like that mid-90s studio like kind of locked down this is how you shoot a film um that a lot of those 90s things and say what you will about bram stoker's dracula it's not paint by numbers oh, filmmaking. we will, we yeah. will say what we but will there's, i mean the big difference because brad pitt apparently really hated making that movie he had to wear contacts he hated the, what it was going to. He tried to get out of it, and when David Giffen told him, yeah, that'll cost the studio $40 million, he just continued doing it. Whereas Anthony Hopkins would have continued doing that film for another three weeks <laughs> yeah. afterwards if they had cast him. He probably just went home and was like, I'm going to stay in character. And I was like, go and order a coffee. Ah, coffee! <laughs> Interestingly, so I was just looking at where this fell in um, Coppola's uh, filmography, because uh, part of the nature of Coppola's filmography is he's often like makes these films that he has to make in order to pay the mm. bills. And I recently watched The Rainmaker, which, despite some moments of craft, is very much one of those. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he was coming off um, The Godfather Part Three, and he made Bram Stoker's Dracula for Columbia Pictures, who he hadn't worked with since One from the Heart. And then he didn't do another one for them. And then four years later, he did Jack. So, oh my. Which I haven't seen, but it just... Um, I've, I'm I really haven't heard great things about Jack. No, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really curious as to what, yeah, exactly the rhythms there of what happened. It may have been also, I know that he was trying to develop a project for a long time called Megalopolis, which was going to be about uh, kind of a global warming sci-fi and this kind of giant East Coast city where everything from, I think, like New York to D.C. had run into a single urban sprawl and um so judge dread basically but american <laughs> maybe yeah but um but i think that fell through so it might have been like between that and between some of the zoetrope american zoetrope commitments but and it also, is also um, yeah. oh, sorry just it just occurs to me that not too long after that it was uh, he was also producing francis ford coppola's kenneth branner's mary shelley's frankenstein <laughs> Um. Right. <laughs> well, he did. I mean, he's put his name on so many different uh, things as well, to be fair, that he, um, yeah. He's so easy to break through. <laughs> it's, I'm, I work in the liquor industry, and we are six weeks out from Christmas, so anything right now that's yeah. not involving booze, while I can drink a beer, is, is just making me happy today, so. Yeah. He, um, he produced a bunch of films in 93 through 95, so The Secret Garden, Agnesha Holland's version, Haunted by Lewis Gilbert, My Family, Gregory Nava. I've never heard of 
the Haunted or My Family. Michael Ritchie's version of the Fantastics from 1995. But you know, producing. I mean, that can, that's an executive producer credit. Excuse oh, me. Right. Uh, yeah. So he did, he also produced Don Juan DeMarco. So he was literally a producer on Don Juan DeMarco and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm. So it might have just been that after Bram Stoker's, he wanted to take a step back for producing while he developed his next mm. thing, and then in the typical Coppola way, Coppola way, probably got himself into debt. And a vineyard. Mm. Yeah. And, he, and I've been to that vineyard. Better. Have I told you guys? No. No, it's amazing. So this uh, is a good place. to Yeah. Do it. This yeah. is because um, he's got his winery. And it ha- it doubles as a film museum, so it's got the Tucker there. It's oh, got wow, the red sweet. sort of roped um, costume at the beginning that of Bram Stoker's oh, director oh, wow. that he it, wears. Yeah. Um, typewriters, all sorts of all sorts of stuff, and then it also has a restaurant. And so we had. Um, I ordered uh, what is apparently Martin Scorsese's mother's recipe for lemon chicken that is one of the several recipes on the menu that comes from the Coppola extended family kind of uh, thing. So it's if if you're ever in um, San Francisco and can go about an hour or two north, uh, well worth a visit as both a film museum and that. And I picked up uh, one from the Hard On DVDs there as well because it's mostly out of print apart from there, which is nice. um, one of the really underappreciated. Um, I've been really actually having fun poking my um, poking back through uh, Coppola's back pages one or two a year and discovering like mm. um, just how much thought and craft he puts in everything and how he's always swinging for the, um, the fences. I was lucky enough to see him in person in uh, Il Cinema Ritrovato in Bologna last year, and he did this film talk and um and it was great because the guys on stage tried to talk him one by one through his films and five minutes in he's like this is boring let's uh, you know i want to answer questions you know it's like you know i consider myself a student as well so what do you guys what are you guys working on what do you want to know and like just refused to take that But, but most of it was like him yelling at people like that you know who were like how do I get a film in there? Grab your phone, get some friends, you know? Um, <laughs> it is, uh, uh, yeah, and it, it was one of several filmmakers I saw during that trip that, along with um, Joe Dante and John Carpenter, who are like, it's wow. so easy to make films now. Just get a phone and get your friends and haven't made films. And I mean, it, <laughs> and, and Coppola's made the most recent film of any of them, but, you know, mm. both Carpenter and Dante, it's been a dog's age yeah. and and they're like it's so easy to make a film now and <laughs> and you know i mean to be fair like when you have to like shoot on celluloid and save up for it and slate mm. it with tape and find somebody who's got a flatbed editor versus you know take out your phone and go home and bang it together in some software and upload it yeah. you sympathize with that but it's yeah. also telling that these guys don't do that well to be Um, fair uh, that's not necessarily true for joe dante he he's done a few short um he's done oh yes he was actually there with nightmare cinema yeah to be fair he was there with mick garris for nightmare cinema so it's just the feature length stuff i think bearing the x was the last one that he'd done and he'd also done the masters of cinema tv show yeah although that had been a while back with uh, homecoming yeah Uh, yeah I feel um, very loyal to him because I listen to the podcast, his podcast a lot. <laughs> yeah. I just listened to that episode that he did with Edgar Wright. Yes. Which was really good fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, shall we move on to... This Love Across Time thing, it's um, for um, Not Unique, it has been done before. Most notably, and one that I think we should give a little bit of a talk to if, we, if we've if we got some time, Blackula, 1972. 
Yes. It's um, there is. It's very much the love across time. It's uh, his his wife is. Uh, he visits Dracula to um, to stop slavery. Why Dracula is involved in that talk? <laughs> Um, yeah. And he brings his wife with him, and uh, he gets turned into a vampire and locked in a uh, uh, locked in a coffin. Um, and uh, his wife gets killed, and then of course he wakes up in in seventies America and finds his wife again. It's um, and um, Dan Curtis uh, does it in the Jack Palance version of Dracula in nineteen seventy four. So nothing is new. No, no. Blackula's well worth and looking at. I mean, fun uh, it's funny, Blackula, I know I've seen it, but I have no actual memory <laughs> of anything in it. I just it's rewatched it yesterday. It's a film, and I mean, right. it's, it's a, it's a great film. And watching an interview with the vampire. <laughs> I watched that this morning Life choices. Yeah. <laughs> but oddly enough, it, and it's, its sequel, Scream Blackula Scream, is just about as good. It's oh, not, Pam Greer. Not quite as good, but it is, sure. it's definitely compared to what you'd expect a sequel to a exploitation horror would be, you'd think would just be... Hashed out nonsense, but, but it's still about um, something. There's yeah. still there's issues in both those movies, and Pam Greer just moves it up to yeah, it. Between Pam Greer and the gravitas of oh, of, we, like, of know, William Crane, William Crane is just amazing in it as well. So that's worth hunting out for the genre fans. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know that there's heaps of Dracula films that people love, like the um, the Christopher Lee Peter Cushing. Oh, very yeah. much. One yes. which I haven't seen, and you know, there's just. Um, Oh, in that one, they uh, interestingly, that's um, horror of Dracula in the states, Dracula in in the UK. They um, they swap the characters of um, of Jonathan and um, is it Sewell um, Arthur? Um, so um, uh, Jonathan is married to um, to Lucy. Oh right, okay, and yeah, so. For no particular reason that they just swapped their own relationships. There's something that kind of feels parallel with that, though, with um, Jonathan trapped in uh, Transylvania and Lucy um, under the thrall at home that feels Mm. powerful, potentially. But but yeah, it is because vampires are such a broad potential text. It does in some ways because... Bram Stoker's Dracula is such a difficult text for screen. Mm. It's interesting that people keep coming back to that, but I suppose it's the name recognition. But the Netflix series that's come out recently, the three-parter, they throw all that they away. Throw that do away. Their, they do their, they own, do their own, thing. own thing, and it's it's. Just, I haven't even heard of this. It's fantastic. Who's who's? Uh, it's uh, Mark Gatiss, Mark Gatiss and yeah. uh, Stephen Moffat are the creators. Okay. Yeah, and who's, uh, who's the star of it? Uh, um, oh, the guy from Burnt Orange Heresy. Uh, oh, Clay Spong. Yeah, him. he yeah. is having he's the awesome. time of his life. I've only seen What's the first the series part. Called? It's, it's just called Dracula. It's a three-part mini, uh, like limited series, not a mini series anymore. It's like one of those Sherlocky kind yeah, of. Short, basically, yeah, but it basically it takes the bare bones of it, and then it goes. Let's have fun with this. And to say anything about it would to spoil it, but yeah, we watched it and had the best time. There's three parts, and they're all very separate stories. The first part is, I mean, actually... Saying that Jonathan Harker is a transparent character, (laughs) that that's um, they do a lot of different things with Jonathan Harker in that first episode. Second, um, uh, second episode. Is this Dark Universe started? Yeah. Let's just call it an alien movie. It basically Um, is. I mean, it takes the the journey from the book across the The ocean, Voyage of the Demeter, and it expands it into a full length movie. And then the third one, I'm not even going to tell you because. 
it goes places that I was not expecting. Oh, good. Um, so enjoy that. So that's that. well worth That's my cool. recommendation. Let's move on. Yes, Let's move and on now to for something completely different. And over to 1996's From Dusk Till Dawn. Not From Dusk to Dawn, <laughs> Dusk Till Dawn. Another yes. Mandela moment almost. Uh, I get to do this one because I've seen this movie I don't know how many times. So I did not, I'd say lots. I did not have to watch this movie again, but damn right I watched this movie again. In fact, <laughs> I double featured it. Interview with the Vampire, followed by a midnight screening oh, of From Dust to Dawn. that is the best way to do it. <laughs> and it was, because I was sitting there with my, my glass. That's the right order, for sure. I even, I even worked it out. I had my nice glass of New Zealand Metho Champenois with the, uh, with the first one, and I had a Budweiser with the second one. <laughs> uh, and uh, damn, it's still fun. If you haven't seen it, here is the plot synopsis coming from me. Uh, I'll just grab a... Uh, grab a beer, drink <laughs> something for a couple I don't moment. think it's going to be quite as funny, but uh, it's... <laughs> Uh, the Gecko Brothers, two professional criminals, flee to Mexico, meet, get to the best and worst bar in Mexico, and have the best and worst night of their lives. It's well, some, in some cases, last. Indeed, yeah. it's directed by Spoilers. Robert Rodriguez, uh, director of El Mariachi, Desperado. Machete, and of course... Shark uh, Girl and Lava uh, Boy. I was going to say, yeah. he beat me to the punch. <laughs> the Adventures of Shark Girl and Lava Boy in 3D, yeah. as well as the Spy Kids Which is getting a sequel. Oh, there you go, finally. Yeah. That was actually one of my niece's favourite films when they were growing up. Oh, I've really? I've never seen it, yeah. I've never seen it either. So. I don't know if we're the target demographic for it anymore. <laughs> but, I mean, that was my hunch. You, Wasn't it a story that is like seven-year-old kid made son, up or something? Yeah, yes, it was based yeah. on the stories of Sun Mattel, and he basically wrote the script around it. So it is a cute story written by kids. Poor right. kids and kids love it, but and that's what From Dust Till Dawn is as well. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sure my, you know, a seven year old would love this one. It's, of course, written as the first paid writing gig for Quentin Tarantino, and it's the Quentin Tarantino verse smashing headlong into the Rodriguez verse mm-hmm. because you've got two separate films. And I saw this one for the first time on the big screen, on release, and I didn't read anything about it. I'd seen the poster. I knew Quentin Tarantino was involved. It was the 90s. Tarantino was hot. Mm-hmm. I went to see it without knowing one single thing of it. And if you haven't seen it, I am going to spoil this because this movie is <laughs> 24 years old and you should have seen it by now. Several <laughs> also, times. it's kind of implicit in the conceit for this episode. <laughs> yeah. It starts off as a, basically a road movie, a road crime movie, if you like. And 45, 50 minutes through, probably over oh, halfway I through. Think over half. Over halfway through, it suddenly goes, fuck you, we're going left turn now. We yeah. we are vampires. We're vampire Sharp right left turn. Sharp yes. left turn. And it's it's mind-boggling that the, the script was written by one person and wasn't written by one person halfway along who then dropped it and left yeah. it and somebody just filled out the mm. rest of the, the blank pages. Because it is it's the second half is all Robert Rodriguez and the first half is all Quentin Tarantino. It's it's that yeah. hard-boiled Quentin Tarantino dialogue. George Clooney is your your main guy, I guess, but it's an ensemble yeah. piece because you're George Clooney. You've got Quentin Tarantino as the brothers. Quentin Tarantino playing Quentin Tarantino as yes. usual, only an even more creepy version of himself, which is yeah. is quite. I quite appreciated his acting slightly more this I, time. I feel like yeah, I feel like he does something slightly different than he does in some of his other films. Like yeah. I felt like it wasn't quite. I it was. 
it's only the second time I've seen it. I can't even remember when I saw it last. Mm. So it was it was quite surprising for me. And obviously he's way outclassed by Clooney, but he was yeah. he doesn't embarrass himself. Yes, no, he I'd doesn't. Say. But it's I mean when you it's it's one of those ones where you can't just say okay that's your main guy because you got Juliet Lewis. You've got Harvey Keitel. Yeah. You've got Danny fucking Trejo. Yeah. Thank you very much. You've got Cheech Marin everywhere. (laughs) Cheech Marin turning up role after role after role. You've got Fred Williamson. Fred the Hammer Williamson, one of the people that I love and am so sad about because he's gone uh, full-blown right-wing at the moment. He has. And his son is not. Fred Williamson Jr. is all over Twitter and is a very left-wing guy oh, and wow. his father is full on I'm for the orange guy is which is the weird? weirdest thing because I mean Fred I know that Williamson Fred w- Williamson was accused of some sexual harassment on one of his films oh, and maybe, just recently VFW, yeah, VFW I think yeah, he had yeah. there was accusations of him uh, you know of uh, him being in the uh, in the Me Too club and yeah. he's, he's, he's in this movie he's great because he there seems yeah, to be a law that if club, you put that's, yeah, that's, oh, that's a horrible club it, it's great because it's, because it's, it's a legal contract I think that the first shot of Fred Williamson must be him with an unlit cigar and that <laughs> turns up and you go well all's right yeah. with the world so you've got the genre and you've got Tom Savini Tom Savini <laughs> makeup artist Friday the 13th we're, we're and everything out past majorly with Dawn of the Tom Dead uh, and somehow we've forgotten Selma Hayek Selma Hayek <laughs> I hadn't forgotten Selma Hayek and never well, will thank you she's actually not a much. huge part no, of the movie but she? she's a very uh, memorable integral part integral I would say I was yeah. 23 when this movie came out, so, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah so we get Selma Hayek in part to set up Quentin Tarantino's foot fetish definitely um, that's, that's not, not subtle this time around yeah yeah that's, that's, that's been something whenever I've gone back to look at old Tarantino films that I keep rediscovering and be like Oh yeah! Also in that film, so much unshaped feet. feet. There's a lot of feet in that. I oh mean, my yeah. god! And yeah. in toe, in in, in mouths. In mouths. I mean, that oh, once again, best god. day ever for him. So, <laughs> to give the the, the plot, the, the the skinny rundown, you've got Tarantino and Clooney, our two brothers, professional thieves. Clooney, very much the professional thief, the career thief. He's there for the money. If you get in his way, yeah, he'll murder your ass deader than fried chicken, but he won't kill you indiscriminately. Whereas his brother is full-on psychopath. It's yeah. and But also delusional. It's delusional. made very clear yeah. that he's delusional. He's delusional. So you wouldn't want to get in his way because someone's going to get killed. And they are fleeing the law, and of course we get that... He's been broken out of jail. He's been broken out of jail, and we get to see the first appearance of Sheriff Earl McGraw, played mm-hmm. by Michael Parks, the late great Absolutely. Michael Parks. Who gives us basically brings up that fucking to speak. awesome, yeah, and has became a recurring character for Quentin Tarantino in every movie after that, even though he dies in the yeah. first uh, one. Spoiler, he does. <laughs> hey, twenty five years, <laughs> twenty five years, and from there they oh they John Hawks basically. too, John of course, Hawks, yeah, he plays yeah. the he plays the uh, the, the bar- uh, yes, yeah, the, yeah, has yeah. yeah. gone on to great things, starting in Deadwood, and is just a, a <laughs> I like one, of the notes, bone. one of the Winter's trivia bone notes that said that he mentions here. in the uh, in the script in the movie that I should have gotten an Academy Award for that performance, and he got nominated for one in two thousand and ten. So <laughs> he didn't have to wait that long; another fourteen years, not yeah. bad for acting. And of course, they flee uh, by taking a family hostage and head for the border from Mexico to, as I mentioned. The greatest bar of all time, the Titty Twister, <laughs> and the Titty Twister is. What's just, the greatest just, bar as long as you don't? As get long as you don't get killed. If you are a vampire, it's got to be the best time. Yeah. This is not mopey. We hate being vampires. Vampires. These guys. 
fucking love being vampires. And let's be fair too. It's the they were provoked into vampirism mm. by what an asshole George Clooney is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they probably would have let them live, survive yeah. if they you know he had punched somebody out, broken fingers on the He's way in, just been a... addicted to Danny Trejo. That's always going to get you punched. In the head. <laughs> yeah, seriously, probably by Danny Trejo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the the. That's that set of of the Titty Twister just puts a huge smile on my face. I mean, it's the the big tracking, the big circular reveal, shot, the, the beginning, reveal yeah. of that, and you've got Tito and Tarantula playing on stage. Robert Ruiz's band. Oh, okay. So uh, and I, I'm not actually sure if he's on one of the uh, if he's actually on the stage with them at that one, but I he didn't he re- played with the band. That's it's had a hell of a lot of people on that. Yeah. It's a great. And uh, that was his studio, right? They just went downstairs every day and shot. Or yeah, something they like well they built that 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 exterior set. And there's a, a great documentary on it called Full Tilt Boogie. And oh, yeah, I've it heard actually that. shows the footage that. of the set catching fire. Wow. So they had they had issues. They had a non union crew being shooting in Mexico. They had fires on there. But it's it's a really interesting look at it. And you can yeah. see how much fun Clooney and Tarantino were having. I mean there's there's just at one point there's some, a little aside of them demonstrating spit takes of different spit, types of spit takes. And then there's right. the double spit take. That's when you drink water really fast. <laughs> it's there's, there's this camaraderie on between those two that really translates on screen. They're a direct opposite of the love scene, you know, the, the lack of chemistry in, mm. in Dracula. He's it's still it's still from that era where Clooney's doing his ER level acting. It's <laughs> that because um, uh, which famously um, Soderbergh broke him of and out of sight. Mm. But it took like you know, <laughs> oh, there was just sight. this kind of constant delivery that. Clooney used to have at this one register mm. that was always that, and finally Soderbergh was like the guy to get him through that. And but he's so out of sight is a film we have to find a way to. Uh, I'm happy about uh, out, out, out of sight. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a way. To and then we could do a Zatoichi. Movie. There you go. Nice. <laughs> out of sight, out of time, out of the past. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> Look for that one coming soon. <laughs> But, but just, you know, his performance in that one, he's so quotable. And I know for years after, as I was in my 20s, I stole so many of his lines. I used to use Ramblers, let's get rambling a lot. Yeah. That thing where you do the shot glass and you slam it on the table, which is a real Tarantino thing. I yeah. did that for, I probably still do, actually. Right. I probably still do. And it's, it's, it's just so it's annoying. It's just every every line that comes along gets, has been stuck in my head for years. And including know. a very long speech. Mm. <laughs> I won't do it, but Cheech Marin's <laughs> pussy speech is just, in the middle of it, just puts that smile on the face. It really changes the tone of the movie. At that, I that practically point. know it by heart, thanks to how I <laughs> we, There was a contest at one of the movie marathons where it was going to be a, an actoroki, where you would learn a, a monologue from a movie and deliver it. And I learned the pussy speech, and I submitted that. Submitted that the rest night. of us. And I was not selected to do that on stage for <laughs> obvious reasons. But yes. uh, We got black pussy, black pussy. Yeah, I, you can look that up on YouTube. That's, yeah. But no, don't look that up. Watch the movie. Uh, uh, Watch along the movie. those lines how did how did you feel in 2020 watching this film in general because one of the things that Mm. it was interesting what i there were certain aspects that i remembered being more troubling than they were and aspects being less troubling one of them is um tarantino's left alone with a female captain and i remember that really bothering me at the time uh and it's still it's still an ugly plot turn but actually Mm. the way it's handled i think and the reveal of it it's handled very glancingly yeah. and nicely within Just those that. Just little, those little 
but Tarantino and um, Juliette Lewis is, is just, yeah, that is that is creepy. creepy but then creepy again, his character, as I said, is a creepy dude. He is delusional. Yeah. He's he's yes. got he's it's all about him. His brain is telling him things that he is acting on. I mean, you're yeah. looking into the mind of a psychopath. So, yeah. for me, the, a lot of the and especially when you get in the in the Tutti Twister itself, and it's yeah. topless woman dancing all over the place. But you are seriously at that stage. You're in fantasy land. You've yeah, got yeah. through yes. anything that is the. The, the realism of it. You cross that border into Mexico and you are now in the Rodriguez-verse. Anything can happen. Mm. The thing actually that rubbed me the ro- m- most the wrong way of, of all things was John Hawke saying the word retard in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Which, I, apologies, but I, I, the R word seems That's a just bit a confusing. Um, but yeah, yeah. It was, it's and, and that was maybe more like a sign of like how the times had changed. That changed was, in a way. And I, you know, I'd forgotten is, that that gets dropped a lot in, uh, in the rock, I think. Think oh no no and uh, Con Air yeah both they drop yeah, the N bomb and they drop the R bomb and yeah. my kid watching I'm kind of like, oh okay that's that's not aged well mm. yeah especially because here it's not it's not being used to provoke it's not being it's no. just it's, it's just, just conversation. part of the lingo mm. but, but that's, you know there's probably yeah. parts of Texas where that conversation oh yeah I mean I yeah I lived in Texas in that yeah. era and yeah. and there's things that I would like to discuss but can't even figure out a way to mm. discuss here without um that, that we're just casual you casually use not as mm. yeah. um an intent to inflame or to trigger snowflakes it was just that was just how you talked mm. yeah. you know and and growing up in michigan as well so it is um yeah i mean it, i was thinking back to how some people left true romance at a screening at the hollywood because they were um really offended by uh, a certain colorful speech oh, uh, that, uh, okay, that is yes. given by yeah. uh, Dennis Hopper, and yes, um, and then later offended by James James Gandolfini's assault on Patricia Arquette. I was having a Patricia Rosanna moment. There, sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just bringing this up in this context of how these films do or don't change, and mm. but also how how differently because i i did remember being really bothered by the first half of it and maybe it's just that i've seen a lot more since then but mm, yeah the um that actually their psychopathy felt <laughs> you know i hadn't seen fight for your life i hadn't seen that you know oh, yeah. and, and, and it seems like you know guarded league like two guys <laughs> taking people hostage psychopathy rather than yeah exactly <laughs> rather than, than what we saw in five your life which yes. is just yeah 90 Ugly. minutes of racism yeah. followed by some horrific violence so. yeah <laughs> But um, yeah, one other thought. It's a um, great Christmas movie too. It's good for the kids. <laughs> Home Alone too. And no, no. no. <laughs> but Definitely we're coming not. up. It's, yeah, yeah. Grab the family. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, one other thought: the the vampires being very monstrous in this and plasticky. Yeah. And then I and Bram Stoker's does the same thing. But what was the first film to kind of take that monstery approach to the vampire instead of just the white face? It's Regal one, probably, um, probably a film that could afford the effects. Yeah, I it's because um, it's it really isn't that the the monstery thing. I suppose. I mean, it doesn't have to be an expensive effect. Uh, uh, you could just make a rubber mask. I, but I, I suppose, suppose yeah, like but maybe Salem's Lot was the one where yeah, the uh, had, yeah, was kind of almost a throwback to yeah, Nosferatu, of course, but, 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 but was but just a full-on monster in terms yeah. of didn't think, just ate. And yeah, but I mean, with Christopher yeah. Lee, you didn't need that because Christopher Lee it was all about the performance. You didn't, yes. If you put a rubber mask on Christopher Lee, I mean, what would be the point of that? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No so I'm, I'm thinking that it's. I um, mean, I suppose it, you can see it dating back to Nosferatu because obviously yes. that's a fig, figure that is 
monstrous in a way, but, but that's still a, had more character. That what I'm saying with Salem's Lot is yeah. that when you were turned into a vampire, you were you didn't yeah. speak. You mm. just you just craved blood. Yeah. And and went for it, but it's you were a monster by that point. Yeah. Um. In terms of, I think uh, callers phone in, um, <laughs> tweet in, tweet, yeah. tweet, tweet. That's, um, Why don't yeah. we get a bit interactive? Mm. Give us some yeah. thoughts. Exactly. We're yeah. doing all the work here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> or just track Come us on, down one in the listener. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so we should probably wrap up now. Yeah. Um, we liked little... it though. We. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. I mean, as I say, it's a movie that I will watch at any time. And we only got to midnight. I'm like, should I bother watching this movie or should I just talk about it? And I watched it and I'm just I'm so glad I watched it again because there was even little little touches that I've gotten. The TV series that was made, uh, which came out, I actually quite liked that because I watched right. the first season and it took basically 10 hours to tell the same story yes. by adding right. extra runs on it. And I really enjoyed that. I got okay. to the second season and an episode and a half. No, I gave up an episode yeah, and a half because they had to start making their own way. And the first thing they did was split up the Gecko Brothers. And I went, well, cool. I mean, you one, you kept them alive. And two, they're now in two different stories. I don't give a shit. <laughs> because it's the byplay between those two brothers, the byplay between mm. George Clooney and Juliette Lewis. The, the byplay between got, Clooney and Keitel. Yeah. The one line that I got the biggest laugh on that's just such a throwaway is Juliette Lewis says, yes, I'll have another thank you after shooting whiskey the first time. And yeah. it feels like an ad lib, <laughs> and it just tickled me. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the special effects, the makeup is ridiculous. I mean, Tom Savini, I'm bored of that one. You're yeah. going to get some amazing stuff. Tom Savini's crotch gun when yeah. it flipped up. Dawn His had never seen the crotch gun. sex machine. Dawn yeah. had never seen the crotch gun. And when that flipped, it's just like, excuse me? <laughs> it, is just, it is just such, yeah. I mean, you can think of, I don't know how much it is half Tarantino and half Rodriguez, but it's certainly each one is kind of mm. a specific style of filmmaking squeezed into its concentrate. Yeah. And, you know, and it is just kind of like every crazy idea that we can have yeah. of, who are the craziest people we can put in a room with a bunch of killer vampires? Yeah. And who are the action icons that we could just have yeah. fun doing crazy stuff with? And it's mm. and the pace at the end is furious. Absolutely. Fred Williamson, when he starts doing his speech about the being in the Vietnam War, and it just fades out because and he's just got the action still going on. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's like they're, they're just letting him go. Yeah. It's there's there's so many nice touches on it. The the as I say, for a genre fan, it is just. Mm. You just sit there and you just bask in it, and you know it's, oh, sure. it's great. It's the film. first time I've seen it on the big screen, and I just I would have loved to see the big screen. But some of us have to work those nights. Nee, 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 nee. No, that wasn't a Monday. That no, was, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a Monday. No, nee, I wouldn't. Nee, nee, nee. Sunday afternoon. <laughs> That's, That's my fine. best argument. For me. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, now do that in Sean Connery's acting. The new restoration <laughs> is beautiful. I actually no. wondered. If, <laughs> do you know if they'd, they'd improved any of the effects, or were the effects always? Because there's some oh, stuff that you asked me there. Yes, I think it's just the same. CGI, but you were more right. open to it perhaps this time around. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Oh, I just yeah. I mean, I think of like the CGI from Lost in Space or yeah. something like that. That's just <laughs> well, terrible. That's that's I think of all, all mid '90s CGI practical effects. Yeah, this. I mean, Fred Williamson's face, and I always think for some reason I always think of equated to Rawhead Rex, but I know Rawhead Rex has a different face. But when oh, he turns into that vampire, yes, the bottom yeah, jaw just that, drops. But yeah, it's just an iconic. But mm. see it into my brain whenever he turns around. You see that shot and. Yeah, I, I love it like a you know a slightly twisted child. It's a fun fucking movie. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's um, well, so if you want fun uh, from dusk till dawn, if you want style, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and if you want sad boys being ah! sad, interview <laughs> with the vampire, something for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Till next time, it's we've been, been fun, ludicrously gentlemen. specific. Thank you. Nice.